Well, good morning. So glad that you're here today, and um, we are excited about what God is doing here today. Awesome, awesome uh, Sunday that we have here as we celebrate those who are getting baptized here at the end of our service, uh, after the service, actually. We're going to do it differently today, and uh, we'll talk about that in just a short little bit. But uh, some of you, this is your first time with us. So glad that you're here. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor here, and I'm just honored to be here, and I'm honored that you're here uh, to worship with us. As you came in, you should have got a program that this is us on the front of it, and inside that program, there's a connection card. We actually take a minute, fill that card out, let us know about your visit with us, and at the end of the service, we take an offering, and we just ask that you should drop that card in the offering. We don't ask you to drop anything else. You know, keep your wallet in your pocket when I ask to you and your money. We just want something for you, and uh, we're just glad that you're here today. Um, and then uh, last Sunday night, we had a volunteer dinner, and uh, we had the best crowd that we ever have volunteers for a volunteer dinner. We had uh, over almost 120, around 120 people last Sunday night, and uh, as we celebrate people that are involved, serving, and I'm going to tell you something. 120 people in our church, and we average around 240, 250 on a, on a weekly basis. That's incredible to have about 50% of our church, and there were some that weren't there last Sunday night, so I know we have more volunteers than 120 people, but we have such an awesome, awesome team of people that's serving, working here at Lake Point Church every week, every month. And uh, what, that, that's amazing. Some churches, the pastor does everything. And everybody just kind of watch him as he's the lone ranger. He just does everything. He might have, you know, a, a sidekick. You know, might have one or two people to help him out. And uh, in some churches, you know, 10% or less of the church family does all the work. Does 90% of the work. And I'm so thankful that part of our core values, part of our DNA is that everybody serves. Everybody's involved, and, uh, and to have over half the church, you know, doing something, that's incredible. So thank you. That was last Sunday night, and what a great time here. And as we think about the idea of church, we're kicking off this brand new series called This Is Us. This Is Us. How many of you watch the show, This Is Us? I, uh, I don't. I've got my hand down. Um, but, you know, it's... it's it, it sounds like a wonderful show, and, and it sounds like it's a tearjerker kind of a show, from what I understand. Um, I see it every now and then on Facebook. Oh, man, it's so sad. Or, oh, I've got happy tears. And I'm just not, you know, wanting to go that route. You know, I say, you know what, I, I don't want to get weepy. I'm just, you know, not going to watch the show. And, um, and so <laughs> I, I know that's a popular show, and it's a show about family. And uh, we just did a series on the family, so, but this here, I'm actually talking about the family of God, God's family. This is us. As we talk about who the church of God is, and, and today we're going to talk about who we are and why we do what we do. Why, we, why, do we, why are we here? We're going to talk about who we are and why we're here. And honestly, today, this is us. The word us is going to encompass the capital C church. I'm not talking about Lake Point Church so much today, although we have a small part 
in the big picture of God. But for the most part, we're going to talk about the capital C, the church that Jesus Christ started. And we're going to look at it from the beginning to where we're at today. And, uh, and so that's today. And then next two weeks, next week we're going to talk about this is how we roll. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about Lake Point Church next Sunday. We're going to talk about what makes us unique, why we do what we do. And then in the third week, we're going to talk about this is where we're going. All right, so today, this is who we are and why, we, why we're here. Next week, how we roll. And then the third week, this is where we're going. And I'll tell you, I love the church. Our church. I don't know what comes to mind or what you feel when you hear the word church. But chances are, it is a far cry from what, from what the first people or the first church people thought of or what they experienced. Nobody in that first century church 2,000 years ago, nobody was bored. That didn't happen. They didn't think buildings. They didn't think roads. They didn't think pews. They didn't think PowerPoint. They didn't think bands or hymnals. They didn't think of those things. They didn't think of church staff. They didn't think of tradition. They didn't think of those things. They didn't even have, hey, listen, they didn't even have in that very first church service, they didn't even have a New Testament Bible. They didn't have any of that. From the very, very beginning, the church began as a movement. And it began as a movement around a very simple idea. It began around this it revolved around this event in history. And now we talk about it from time to time. And I know about most every church celebrates this one event every year. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that movement began around that event, that important event. And it was the resurrection of Jesus that galvanized the first century Christian around the simple idea that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And it was that simple event, and it was by the testimony of eyewitnesses to that event that basically launched the first church. From the very beginning, it began as a movement. I want you to think on that word today, movement. It began as a movement. Now today, the church is still moving. Know why? Because movements move. That's really deep. Movements move. So if the church launched as a movement somewhere in the world, hopefully around here, the church continues to move. Now as we begin this series, I want to give you a little background about the whole idea of church. We're going to look at the Greek word together. So for those who don't think I go deep sometimes, we're going to go deep. This is Deep Sunday here today, all right? We're going to go deep. Let's talk about some Greek stuff here. 
in the Greek New Testament. That's the Bible you have in your hand. You know, in the original Greek New Testament, the little word church, the little word that you see church, whenever you come across that word in the New Testament, it's a translation of a Greek word. And that word is the word ecclesia. Can we put that word up? Ecclesia. And it simply means an assembly or gathering. An assembly of gathering. Just hold it up for just a minute. Ecclesia. And it's a, it's a really fun word to say. In fact, I want you to say it with me. Say that word, Ecclesia. Let me hear you. Ah, there you go. You know Greek. You're good. Ecclesia. Ecclesia. It literally means an assembly, a gathering. And that's what it means. And throughout the Greek New Testament, you will see that little Greek word, Ecclesia. A gathering, a congregation, assembly. When Jesus launched the church, he launched it, as we're going to see in the next few minutes from Matthew. We're going to see this in Matthew 16. He launched it as a gathering around this one simple idea, that one simple event, with one simple focus, with one simple mission. It was a gathering. But then something terrible happened. Something terribly happened in, in, in history. As time went on, there was a transition from the idea of a movement to the idea of a gathering of people, an assembly. It went from all of that Jesus wanted to have to a location. To a place. To a place. If you know any history at all, if you know church history or if you know medieval history, you know that the church went through a very terrible, embarrassing time where everything was wrong about the local church. Right? Especially in that 300 to 1500 AD, in some history books, they call it the Dark Age. The, the church moved from the gathering of people, this assembly, this movement, and they centralize it. They localize it. And it moved to a different word. It's actually a German word. It's a German word that it transitioned to. Now, I can't pronounce it in the original German, but here's the English derivative of this word. Here's the word. I want you to see it right here. Kirch. Church. We get the word church from it. And this word literally means the Lord's place or the Lord's house. A holy place. Didn't have to be Christian. It just meant a place for people of certain faith. The Lord's house. And over time, and by the way, this happened in 300 A.D., 300 years after the idea of Ecclesia. So 300 years later, there was a transition. There was this idea of, hey, let's not go to, let's just not be the church, let's go to church. Let, let's go to a place and have church. Let's find the four walls of a building, that's where church is. 
And they had this idea of church. Now, this was a throwback to the Old Testament idea of a temple. Because in Israel, there was a temple, and the people of God gathered in the temple. That's where God lived. Okay, in the New Testament, God changed all that. He said, now God lived in the temple of men. He's not confined to a one location. But over 300, at 300 AD, and after 300 AD, they went back to that idea of that location. Before you know it, the church was located in a building. And whoever controlled the building, they controlled the scripture. Whoever controlled the scripture and controlled the building, then they controlled people. And then whoever controlled scripture and they controlled uh, the, 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 the people, they began to control government. And the church got very political, especially in that dark age of 300 A.D. to 1500 A.D. Now, this is a message that gets very dangerous for me. Because deep in my heart, I'm a history nerd. All right? And if, if I'm not careful, we can really get deep into history. But I just want you to understand, if we're not going to go there, there's a lot to the history here. And, and, and God, through the dark time, ecclesia, even though the, the idea of ecclesia got diminished, it was still moving. It still moved. Although it got very political, although it got very localized and centralized and, and traditional and orthodox, the church that God had in mind was still happening. It was still moving. I want you to see what Jesus had in mind. In Matthew chapter 16, we find the first reference, reference to the church in New Testament. Jesus asked his disciples who people thought he was, and you know, they, you know, some say, well, you know, some people say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet. And then, and, and then Jesus said, all right, guys, he's talking to his disciples, who do you say I am? What do you say about me? And Peter spoke up, and look at verse number 16 in Matthew chapter 16. He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by, my, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, and here's our word, ecclesia. Church. I will build my church. Ecclesia. Not I will build my church building. Not that I'm going to build a place. He said I will build my gathering, my congregation, my assembly, my movement. And, and then he said, in the gates of Hades, in some translation, it's the gates of hell. In other translation, it's the gate, the gate of death will not overcome it. Which meant no matter how many people die, and no matter who dies, the church movement will continue forever 
and ever and ever, even through the dark time of our history, it is not going to finish off. It's not going to die off because the church was birthed as a movement of people around a simple message and around a simple idea. And so Jesus talked about it, and now, shortly after this, we see the birth of Ecclesia. Jesus, we all know the story, he was crucified, he rose again. He spent 40 days with his followers before he went to heaven. And then after about 40 days, he gathered them on the hillside. There was about 100, maybe 120 people, disciples. Mary, his mother, was there. His sister um, might have been there. And some friends. There were 100, 120 people on the hillside. And, and Jesus had given them their final instructions. Now, we know this. That's the Great Commission. But I want you to see at chapter 1, and this is what's so cool. He predicts the beginning of the church. He already said on his idea that Jesus is Christ, the son of the living God, that he was going to launch this movement, movement upon him and that death and hell would not win. He's already said that in Matthew 16. And so he's now going to predict here's what's going to happen. Here's how this is going to go down. And so just before he leaves the planet, he gathers his disciples. He got all these people on the hillside, 120 people. And this is what he tells them in Acts chapter 1. He said, then they gathered around him. And they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking future Jesus. They're still thinking of the kingdom that they had heard in prophecy that is still yet to come. But then Jesus said this. In verse number 7, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You don't know when that kingdom can come. I don't want you worrying about that kingdom. That's not for you to know right now. And so here's the mission. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, we don't know what they, the people as they're listening to Jesus, we don't know what they're thinking. And surely they thought, man, power? Well, power is a good thing. I mean, we're going to get power, and that's awesome. What are we going to do with this power? How are we supposed to you dispatch your power? And he said this. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Again, the word witness is very, very similar today. It's, it's, it's used in a court of law. It's someone that has a testimony. They eyewitness something that took place. And they represent what that person did or what that person said. And said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were at the moment, and all of Judea, which was the broader area of Jerusalem, and Samaria, which was an area that they didn't even like to go to, people that they didn't like, and then to the end of the earth. Now again, I don't know what these people are thinking. These 100, 120 people, Jesus is giving these final instructions. And, and who knows how they're thinking. You know, you're standing there with a man who Rome crucified. The religious people, the religious leaders, they hated this man. There's about a hundred of you. And he said, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take this message of me, and you're going to tell this story about what happened you're going to tell people that I died, that I was buried, 
And now it rose again. You're going to be eyewitnesses to the fact of this resurrection. And you're going to take this message to all of Jerusalem. And they're looking at each other. It's okay, Jerusalem, we've got this. And then it's all of Judea. It's a little bit harder, Judea, but we, got, we can do Judea. Samaria, right, we don't like those people over there, but all right, we can do that. And then to the ends of the world, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And no doubt, they're looking at each other and thought, wait a minute, how is that even possible? Jesus, do you have any idea how big the world is? To which Jesus could have said, you don't even know how big the world is yourself. All you know is the Roman world. But the world is bigger than you can even think or imagine. But this message, this movement, this gathering, this momentum that we're creating is going to touch every single part of the world. And that's exactly what happened. This is one of the most significant prophecies in the entire Bible because we are in some ways a fulfillment of it. We're part of this. This is us. This is who we are. And then Jesus left. He departed and a little group of 100, 120 people went back to Jerusalem and they began to pray together and they, they met for prayer and, and, and Jesus told him, just wait on the Holy Spirit. He'll come and sure enough, he showed up on a day of Pentecost which was a festival for Jewish people and uh, people that have been converted to Judaism. They got together every year for a festival and it was during that Pentecost that the Holy Spirit showed up in might and in power and, and uh, the people, were, as they were praying, these 100, 120 people received the Holy Spirit. And then they went out in the street. Now, this festival, by the way, was significant because there were people from all over the world at this festival. People of all sorts of different people groups were at this festival. And the power of God spoke through these 100, 120 people, and they began to speak in the language of all of these people groups that showed up in Jerusalem. And there was a stir. What was going on? What is happening? How are we hearing from these people? How can we understand these people? We're not of the same, of, of the same race, of the same tribes. I know these people. They, they normally speak a different language, and now they're talking in my language. And there was such a stir and a commotion. And at this time, there was a gathering of people. And Peter preached the first sermon. Opening day of church. This was it. He gathered all these people. And I want you to see part of this sermon. Because it's a powerful message. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 22. Peter is a fellow Israelite. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. You thought you had a plan in this? God had orchestrated this whole thing. This was all a fulfillment of what God had predicted. And he said that you with the help of wicked men put him to death 
by nailing them to the cross. Now, Peter is recalling some very, very recent history. I mean, this is only two months after the crucifixion. This was only two months after the resurrection. And so when he said Jesus of Nazareth, many people in the audience said, oh, yeah. I was there for that message. Oh, yeah. I saw him drag his cross down the middle of Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. I was on the outskirts of the crowd during one of his sermons. Oh, yeah. He, he healed a friend of mine. I know who you're talking about, Jesus of Nazareth. This isn't distant history. This is very recent history. Look at verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then Jesus, you know, Peter just preached the gospel. He preached the gospel of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. By the way, he didn't have a Bible. He said, hey, open your Bible to John chapter 3, verse 16. I've got a great verse for you. That verse hadn't been written yet. The only thing that mattered was, hey, we are eyewitnesses. I'm telling you, Jesus rose again, and you know it. Because many of you saw it, and you, and you don't know what to do with it. You're, you're trying to figure out this whole Jesus of Nazareth thing. And I'm telling you, he died, he was buried. And he rose again. Look down to verse number 32. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. We're witnesses. This is exactly what Jesus has said in Acts 1. You're going to be witnesses. We're not simply giving a testimony of what Jesus taught. If you're new to Christianity, or if you're, or if you're not a Christian, let's try to figure all this out today. This is an important part of understanding Christianity. The first century believers were not simply teaching what Jesus taught. Christianity wasn't about embracing Jesus' teaching. It was about embracing in that event in history. That we are witnesses of the fact that he was crucified. And a lot of people saw that. And we are not we are witnesses of the fact that he came back to life, not years ago, but just, man, a couple months ago. I could take you to the tomb, and the tomb is empty. He's not there. We are witnesses of these things. Verse number 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promise, Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see and hear. He said, this is what you're seeing now. It's now the Holy Spirit. Because you can hear me in your language, it's because the Holy Spirit, who Jesus had promised, is now here. Look at verse number 36. It gets interesting. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made the Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, Peter, boy, Peter's getting in their grid right here. He's getting in their face. You crucified him. You were a part of it. Some of you were in the crowd. When Pontius Pilate said, what should I do with this man? You were part of the crowd that said, crucify him. You were part of it. You crucified him. 
God had made it Jesus. God made him whom you put on the crowd. And a hush fell over a crowd. I mean, that was a powerful moment right there in that sermon. And finally somebody cried out. When the people heard this in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. And they shouted out to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Go to church. No. No, you need to go to Mass. No. That's not what he said. He said, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Underline that. Man, that's a great statement. For all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Do you know who the all who are far off is? You know who that is? That's you. That's me. It's our children, grandchildren, our parents who embrace Christianity, all who are far off. This was Peter's saying. This was Peter's way of saying that this Jerusalem thing is not just for Jerusalem, but for everybody. And it's for generation upon generations upon generations. This is for everyone. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not stop it. Because movements, they move. Generations may die, but the momentum in the church will continue to thrive. And then they had the first altar call. How many of you remember when you had, attended a church that had an altar call and they sent a hymn and people come forward? All right, they didn't do that. They didn't have a hymn. They just had people come forward. They didn't need a song. Uh, they had passion, there was this energy, there was conviction going on. And 3,000 men, 3,000 people, not men, 3,000 people were added to their number that day. 3,000 people who had heard of or witnessed the life and asked in deeds of Jesus. 3,000 people, don't miss this. Anyone could have jumped up and said, wait a minute, hold on, guys. Hold on, this is all wrong. Peter, you need to shut your mouth. I know where Jesus is buried. I've been to the grave. The body is still there. Not one person did that. Not one person did that. Because they knew Jesus had rose again. In fact, they said this. I believe. I believe. Peter, I believe. He came, he died for me. He died. And baptism happened. 3,000 plus people get baptized. Can you imagine how long baptism took that day? I mean, I'm sure they found every body of water. And they just, you know, apostles just baptized until the day was done. Man, what an awesome, awesome opening day of church. And you had a big momentum, a big message, a big event. And 2,000 years later, here's where we are. 
were part of this momentum that started 2,000 years ago. Sure, church looked a little bit different than it did back then, but the movement and that message and that focus and the mission is still the same. It's still the same. The early church, they had a rallying cry, and it is our rally cry. If you're taking note, that Jesus is the resurrected Christ, the Son of the living God. The mindset of the church is you didn't go to church, you were the church. You didn't go to church, you were the church. If you begin to think that, hey, I go to church to have church only, and outside of my Sunday morning I don't do church, then you've got that faulty idea of that German word church. You think church is a place to go, where church is a place to be. We're to be the church everywhere we go, everywhere we're at. The first century church wasn't for church people, because there wasn't any church people back then. The, the first century church wasn't about a location and a marquee, because there wasn't one. The first century church wasn't about style. It wasn't about ritual and traditions, because there wasn't any. The mission of the church was to do one thing, and that was to create followers of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here. Who we are, we're clear. Why are we here? We're on a mission to reach people who are far from Jesus and to help them take a next step in their walk and discipleship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why for every Bible-believing church that understands Ecclesia, that we are a gathering of people who is galvanized around this one idea that Jesus rose again from a grave. A dead man walked out of a grave. He wasn't revived by somebody else. He did it by his own power. He rose again. And we have the mission to tell that word and to tell that story. We are eyewitnesses of what God has done in our own lives. He said, man, I was lost. I didn't have Jesus, but Jesus came in my heart, and I'm a changed man, and I've witnessed this. I've seen others who come to Christ, and they've been changed, and I've witnessed the power of God. This is why we're here. And there's always been a group of people who refuse to let go of that idea, refuse to make it a building, there are people that there's always been missionaries and church planters and evangelists, Bible translators, pastors, student pastors, Bible smugglers, teachers, always be in the church. People like you who give, serve, you invite, you cheer when someone gets baptized. You understand that's the church. People who realize that when you gather in your home or office, you're the church. People, you realize that when you serve the poor, you're the church. 
People who realize that when you pray for the sick, you're the church. People who realize that when you live out the values that Jesus taught, and you feel like an outcast in your fraternity or sorority or at the workplace or in your home, and you feel like an outcast because you're a Jesus freak, because you love Jesus. And when you become an outcast and feel like an outcast, guess what? You're the church. This is us. This is who we are. That's why we continue to see more gathering places. That's why we continue to see more churches being planted. That's why we continue to see people go on short-term mission trips. By the way, we have one of our ladies, Carol Tanner, on the other side of the world this morning. She might be sleeping right now. But she's in an orphanage. She's just loving on kids. And she went on her own. I said, you didn't go with the group now. I, I just go. You went to where? In, in Thailand. I said, how you get around? I said, God, I trust God. Hey, keep being the church. Being the church. That's why we continue to train more leaders. We agree with Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Church began as a movement, still moving. Body of Christ is a living organism that grows. It's alive with people, not an organization. Organization dies. We're an organism, the body of Christ, and it moves. So why we're here? We've been working on a new mission statement. To kind of tweak it, we've been working on it. Got it right here. Late point mission statement. Helping people take their next step with God. Wherever they're at in their journey, whether they know Christ or don't know Christ, we want to help people take their next step. Take their next step in following Christ. Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his ways. And I believe that, I believe that every person here has a net step to take. This is part, as the church moves, because we're part of a movement, it's alive with people. Who's doing the movement within the church? People. You. How did the church move when you begin to take next steps? Every day, every week, I promise you, God has a next step for you to take in your spiritual walk and your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. A couple quick things here. We don't have a lot of time, but spiritual growth is intentional, not automatic. It's not going to happen by accident. You have to be intentional. You have to plan it. You have to desire it in your heart and say, you know what? I'm going to take a next step. I'm going to do it. I've been convicted. I've been challenged. The Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. Man, I'm going to take that step. Take that step. It's intentional. You have everything that you need to take a next step with Christ. You have everything you need. Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power, the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave, the same power that he gave the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, 
the same power that you and I can have. We can tap into God's power. It's that His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And here we have over here stepping points. We want to help people take a next step. We have eight stepping points that we want you to see. I've got it here. I've got it on the banner over here. We're going to start putting it out there. We're going to put it on the website. We want to give resources. But these are eight key stepping points. Now, by the way, let me say this. We're not limited to the stepping point. God might be calling you to make different moves all the time. But we feel as a church, as a church leader, this is how we can help people take next step. And the most important one, obviously, is to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. Become a follower of Christ. And for some of you this morning, this is your next step. Here's the second one. Get baptized. We have uh, people getting baptized today. They're taking a next step in following the Lord in believers' baptism. Encounter God daily. We're going to help you in your spiritual discipline. We want to help you grow in your walk with Christ. Not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday to Saturday. We want you to become a member. Get plugged in in the church, a local church, and become part of this movement, this gathering, so that we can be part of something bigger and better than ourselves, be part of the greatest mission of the world. Get behind the vision and leadership of the church. Join our life group. We have life groups starting in two weeks. And we want you to get plugged in. The best way for you to grow with other believers is through groups. Through groups. If you've never been a part of one, I challenge you to sign up today. In your program, there's a green uh, flyer or a green booklet in your program. It has all the life groups that we're starting in a couple of weeks. We have groups on Sunday night. We have groups on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Almost every night of the week, we have groups. Find a group. Get plugged into groups. Start worshiping with other believers in groups. I can't stress how important this step is. How this step has been neglected by many. So I challenge you, join a life group. Serve on a team. What a step. Hey, take a step and serve. Give generously. Give generously. I'm not just talking about the church offering plan. I'm just talking about living your life out of generosity. When you see things, you say, you know what? I see a need. I want to be a part of it. I'm going to help out. I want to, I want to live. I want to be marked by a life of generosity. Go on mission. I'm going to invite my friends. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to go on short-term mission trip. I'm going to, do, I'm going to go serve at a community event. Which, by the way, we have a couple of community events coming up. One of them is next Saturday morning where we get to help feed people after a Terra walk, Terra Grant walk, a 5K, or I, I think it's now just a walk now. It used to be a 5K race. Now it's just a walk. And there'll be 400, 500 plus people there, and we're going to feed them hot dogs. We're going to cook the hot dogs. We're going to give them drinks. We're just going to love on them. We're going to invite them to church. We're going to invite them to Joe Castillo, which is our American Got Talent Sunday that's coming up on October 7th. You'll see that in just a few minutes. But we have all these things. But we, by the way, we only have three people signed up to help with Terror's Walk. 
We need 20 people. We need some people to say, you know what? I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm going to go be the church. I'm going to go love on people, make, build relationships, invite people to church. I'm going to go and be the church. You can sign up on the back of your connection card. And say, sign me up. Count me in. Don't look around and say, well, I don't have time. Someone else can do it. Because everybody's doing that. If you say, you know what, I'm available and I can do it. Sign me up. You want to bring the whole family. This is a great event for the entire family. Bring the family out. They can help serve. I can't think of a better way to teach our kids about mission, about doing ministry work, than just getting them out and doing it. God has never called anyone to be passive, lazy, or apathetic. He's calling people to action. He's calling you to take the next step. The church began as a movement. And it's still moving today. This is us. This is who we are. We are Ecclesia. This is why we're here. We're on a mission. Because of one thing that happened. And it's the only thing that happened. And if this event didn't take place, we wouldn't be here. We have no reason to be here. Other than the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. This is us. Our Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you. We thank you that we're part of this great movement, this movement that started 2,000 years ago. We're still part of that prediction. We're still part of that prophecy. It's still moving today. And we get to be a part of it. Because we have a resurrected, risen Savior. And because of him, and him alone, we get to be the church. And there's a lost and dying world that's looking for churches that care, the churches that love, churches that will be the church. I pray here, God, you will help us. Whatever that is, whatever step we have to take, there's steps that the church needs to take as a whole, but there are steps that the, every individual in this room needs to take. As we create movement, as we're part of this movement, God, help us to be moved by your Holy Spirit. Whether we need to follow Jesus, whether we need to get baptized or, in, or start practicing uh, daily discipline, become a member, join a life group, serve on a team, give generously, or go on mission, or perhaps, God, there's another next step. It's not on a banner. But, God, the Holy Spirit is teaching us, is prompting us, God, I pray that we will move. God, you're always calling us to action. Help us not to be lazy. Help us not to put off. God, we celebrate those who are taking a next step in baptism here today. Perhaps, God, this will inspire others who need to make that decision for our next baptism. Maybe, maybe perhaps it inspire people to become a follower of Christ. God, I don't know how you work today. God, we're just thankful, though. 
that you are in control. And it's all about you. And you and I pray. Amen.